The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Jeremy Frederick-Storff sits down with Paul Johnson. Hello everyone, this is uh, Captain Jeremy Frederick-Storff with the Trident Room podcast here at Naval Postgraduate School. And uh, with me today, I have Lieutenant Paul Johnson, a surface warfare officer in the United States Navy. He's currently an instructor at Surface Warfare Schools Command, where he teaches maritime warfare for the Advanced Division Officer course. All right, Paul, um, can you tell me a little bit about your uh, naval career? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Uh, so commissioned back in 2018, uh, went through the NROTC program at Penn State, where I studied uh, mechanical engineering, and then spent the first three years of my time in the Navy out in Rota, Spain, where I was with the USS Donald Cook. And while we were doing work in there, we did a couple of joint combined operations for Europe and Africa, including uh, ballistic missile defense for Task Force 65. And then we also, uh, for my second tour, moved back to San Diego on the USS Cowpens, where we worked through a uh, extensive uh, service life extension program. And now you're in uh, Newport, Rhode Island? That's correct. So I uh, just got here and be here for about the next three years or so, uh, working through the, the teaching staff and all the first tour division officers looking to transition and make their way to their second ships now. Nice. All right. So reason, really the reason why uh, we're talking today and why I wanted to have you on is I've obviously seen uh, a couple of videos of you on Instagram where you have a beard and uniform and <laughs> yep. have been asked so many questions by my fellow friends like, oh, who is that guy in that video that you're with that has a beard? And so I just wanted to ask you blatantly, like, what is the deal with the beards? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's always uh, a lot of fun to talk about. So Obviously, facial hair in the U.S. military isn't really uh, much of a thing. Uh, the only way that you're really going to see it, someone have facial hair or beards, um, is if either A, they're on leave, or B, they have a, a valid excuse, whether that is a religious exemption or a medical exemption. So it's something that a lot of people have had questions about and eventually those questions and those concerns have made its way up to the top of the chain of command for the Navy, uh, the administrative side here. And the SECNAV actually back in uh, July or so this past year said, hey, we hear all the complaints. Let's get some more information on this because typically the argument you hear about beards and facial hair is either that it's unprofessional or that we can't have them in the military because the the hair would affect your ability to seal a mask for firefighting uh, or in the case of a chemical attack. So he ordered this study to try and figure out, is there really any impact from facial hair and being able to seal a mask? And that's what we took a look at. So it started with the Secretary of the Navy. Um, I, I guess my next question would be, did it start... Was it specific people that were chosen based on their background or things like that? Or was it just the ship that you were on while you were in San Diego that was picked? It ended up being just the ship that I was on. 
so my shipping, my ship in San Diego, the Calpens, again, we're going through, went through an extensive uh, a yard period and, and maintenance period uh, going on multiple years now. So the crew that's there, we're not necessarily doing a lot of active underways uh, per se. So we're a great platform to try and get some testing done on these firefighting masks and these chemical attacks since we're not really deploying in our current situation. Uh, the uh, commander of Naval Surface Forces Pacific identified us as well as uh, another ship out there, one of the LCSs, one of the littoral combat ships, uh, to get some volunteers from our, each of our crews to conduct this study. So when you say some volunteers, like how many people are we talking here? Uh, they came and did a presentation for us, kind of explained you know, what the study was and what they're looking for, what they're trying to achieve, uh, the data they're looking for. Um, and I think, uh, it's hard to remember, I think their target was somewhere around at least 60 participants uh, in this study. I would say that we probably had 30 to 40 from my ship participate and probably, I think, a similar number coming from the other ship. Hard for me to say I didn't really interact with the other ship too much. Um. When you say like they came to do a presentation, who was who was the who were the people that were running this project? The study itself was done by some personnel at the Naval Health Research Center and Warfighter Performance Lab. Were there any like specific requirements for those sixty people that were participating? Like for example, myself, I cannot grow facial hair other than maybe on my neck. So were there any requirements like you have to be able to grow a beard to even be able to participate in the study? Well, that was kind of the joke going around the ship. Because um, personally, I, throughout college, could never grow facial hair. Um, and I didn't really think I could because I've also been shaving the whole time in the military. Uh, so when I put my name in the hat to participate in this study, definitely a lot of jokes flying around that I was never going to grow and that I was wasting my time. Um, and luckily, uh, it did grow. But we did have a couple people participating that just had some random strands of hair sticking out of their chin. But really, it wasn't so much a limit on or requirement on who could participate. It was more so, hey, these are the requirements during the study. Um, are you willing to meet these requirements and these standards throughout the duration of the study? And if so, we'll look at having you participate. So what exactly were like the standards that you're talking about? Like, did you just grow a beard for as wildly as you could? Was there a trimming period or how did that work? Yeah, it was... So it started in uh, July 2022. Um, the study itself was aimed to take about four months or so. Um, and really, all we had to do was start growing the facial hair. Uh, we couldn't do anything with it in terms of trimming it or anything like that. We just had to let it grow and try to get as much length on it as we could. Uh, the pretty average growing rate is about half an inch of hair. Uh, a month. And so that's why we were looking at about a four month time period. Half an inch over four months gives us kind of the two inches of hair that really the, the study was trying to target in terms of the maximum length that they were actually looking at. So about four months of facial hair growth. Um, so like you said at the beginning, the reason why it often seems like we're not allowed to have facial hair, it's because some consider it unprofessional, some consider it other things, I guess my question for this, for these four months where you're growing out your beards, how did it affect your, your daily life at work? Re really no impact at all. Um, 
while we were doing the study and, and not having any results of it yet, uh, we had to make some adjustments to things uh, such as watch bills where not knowing what the effect of the beard with mask sealing was, uh, people who were participating in the study, we avoided having them on you know, our damage control response teams for firefighting and things like that uh, throughout the ship. But really, other than that, there was there was no impact to daily life other than just walking around in uniform and getting a lot of weird looks from people because you've got this scraggly looking thing on your face walking around that they're not used to seeing. Well, I guess how was the uh, how was the opinion of people on the ship? Let's before we start going to other people. Uh, everybody on the ship seemed to be thought it was pretty fun and and pretty exciting. Um, so there was about. I'd say 30 or 40 of us on the ship doing it. Um, and it kind of became a little bit of a, you know, a competition between us. We're all throwing jabs at each other, trying to see whose looks the best, who's growing in the, uh, who's growing in the best. And it really was just kind of a good time and a good morale and bonding moment for everybody that was, you know, participating in the study together. And anybody who, you know, wasn't doing the study was unaffected by it. So it didn't really matter too much to them. Was there any, um, complaints from anyone like people that weren't participating or even women that realized that they might have some things that they would like to have expanded that realized there wasn't any study to get studies being done for them no i, I don't think there was any as you say be, being upset with the study um I, re regardless of gender or, or anything like that people were you know pretty excited to see that the navy was you know taking steps to try and say hey this is a concern uh for sailors and throughout the fleet let's take a look at it and maybe it's something that we could you know potentially change in the future so i don't think anybody was necessarily uh upset with it that it was happening i know specifically speaking with you know some of my peers on the ship who majority of my peers for the division officers were female they thought the study was you know, you know pretty cool and uh you know interestingly enough talking to them it started spring up conversation about things like well if we're looking at something like beards what about items such as, you know, the policy on uh, ponytails, uh, fingernails, or earrings, which, funny enough now, Navy has updated policy recently allowing females uh, a lot more liberty in terms of how they can wear their earrings at work. So I think we're looking at kind of, you know, both aspects of this. I don't think one side or the other was really too upset by the fact that we're doing it. Yeah, which, which seems to be a good thing. Like, I guess my question for it next would be, how did other people perceive it? Because obviously you were you were on a military base in San Diego yep. where there's a lot of military around. Uh, I, mm -hmm. We went to the uh, the Navy ball in the fall where there's obviously yep. a lot of you know higher ranking individuals and you still had the beard at that time. And how did other military members, specifically in the Navy, how was their perception of it? And did you have any issues with them? So throughout the entire study, um... Not once did anybody ever ask me why I had a beard or what was going on. Um, they provided us with some documentation. If somebody, if that arose that said, hey, they're a part of this study directed by the SECNAV. Uh, they're exempt from these grooming standards. You have any issues, reach out to this point of contact. Um, so we had, we had that documentation. Like I said, interesting enough, nobody ever asked me about the beard or anything else during the study. I definitely got um, a lot of weird looks. Uh, there was one point where I, I went to the Pentagon for a retirement ceremony, pretty much at the end of the study where I had the full two inches. And 
you know, walking around there, like you said, a lot of high-ranking officials, a lot of stairs. Uh, at one point, there was some two-star admiral almost falling over the side of the escalator, leaning over to watch me go by. Um, but still, nobody really said anything to me. So I think there's definitely a lot of concerns, but none of them were you know, voiced to me directly. So you say that nothing was voiced to you directly. Were there any complaints that were sent out like towards your ship, like to the captain of the ship saying like, hey, um, I've seen your sailors in uniform wearing beards. Why is this happening? There were um, a couple, specifically for that uh, that incident at the Pentagon. Um, a lot of email chains started flying around, people asking, trying to figure out, okay, who is this guy with the beard? Why is he walking around like that? He can't be doing that. Um, and the fact of that was just a lot of people had no idea that we were doing this study. Um, and after enough conversations, everything kind of got, Hey, we know pack fleets doing this, uh, pack fleet. Yup. This ship's doing it. And my XO responding like, yes, we've got these sailors are doing this study. They're authorized to do this thing. And really I never had to deal with any of that. It was all kind of dealt with at the, uh, executive XOCO level. And they were on board the study. They're like, hey, we're doing this thing. Not a big deal. Um, our sailors are going to keep doing their thing. And that, that's about it. Yeah. Um, I guess my question would also be for that would be, so this this came down from SECNAF. Do you have any idea of why SECNAF started to study? Like, was it an individual that reached out through his chain of command saying like, hey, I think we really should be allowed to have beards on it. Have you ever done a study on this? Or was it really just a top-down SECNAF saying, why do we still have beards? Let's do a study on it. I Honestly, I can't say. I, I just don't know the information. Uh, what was presented to us was that we're doing this study to determine how beards affect the mask seals. Um, it's coming directed by the Secretary of the Navy. Um, and that, that's really all the information that, that we've had on it so far. So I don't know, uh, as to your question, whether it's Hey, there's individuals that are asking about it. Um, if it's something that the second have said, hey, I want to take a look at this. This is a concerning item to me. I just, I don't, I don't know that information, unfortunately. So speaking of uh, impact, um, since you, you started this kind of on Instagram, sort of kind of being more of an influencing role overall and growing your following, did you have any reach out from individuals asking you questions about what was going on with the study, like positive, negatives? Can you talk about that? All sorts. <laughs> um, yeah, so posting a couple of you know videos about my experience growing the beard and interactions I've had growing the beard definitely has received a lot of uh, feedback, I guess you could say. I've had you know all sorts of comments on things from the positive. Hey, this is really awesome. I appreciate you doing this. This is an issue that I face personally, um, all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum where you've got individuals who, you know, let their mind loose on the internet and say some, uh, some pretty interesting things on the negative side. Uh, that's within the comments. I've also received a lot of uh, personal messages about it. And really the personal messages are pretty much all positive. It's mostly people who are curious about the study asking some more questions or uh, people who are saying, Hey, like, I really appreciate you doing this. You know, this is facial hair for some people is a really big deal. Um, both religiously as well as with medical issues. Um, so they're actually very grateful that, you know, this type of thing's happening and they're thankful that people are taking a look at it.
so after the four months of growing the beards, what did the end results look like? Like walk me through after those four months, what did you guys do and how did you test to see how if the beards were a problem or not? When we were growing the hair, uh, we were pretty much left on our own. Uh, we, we did check-ins with the staff. Uh, they would come and the researchers would measure the hair, see how well it was growing, ask us if we were having any personal issues uh, with growing the hair, anything like that, just kind of do a check-in and see how things were going. Uh, once we hit that final check-in, they're like, okay, you're at your two inches. We're going to get you scheduled here to do the testing. Uh, it was a pretty smooth process. Uh, we, they scheduled a day with us. We'd come in as groups, and we would get sit down. Do They'd have a professional barber come in, basically line everything up, trim it up to a nice round two inches all the way across the face. And then we would go through this process of testing where they'd hook us up to uh, it's a normal, you know, SCBA firefighting mask and, and CBR for the chemical masks, but they had these special sensors attached on the front of them that measured the number of particles in the air versus the number of particles contained within the mask. Uh, so they'd put us in this room. They would be basically a, a particle generator within the room, and they would measure those levels to compare. Those masks would then be hooked up to a computer reading all those levels, and then we perform uh, different activities such as you know, normal breathing, turning the head side to side, uh, bending over, leaning forward and back, head nodding, all sorts of things like that, talking, and they would measure how these numbers of particles uh, within the mask responded to those different activities, and in comparison to uh, the ambient particles, to actually determine how well that mask was sealing on our face during those different activities. Um, once we did that full, uh, the testing for the two inches, we'd go back to the barber and we'd actually do uh, a trim down. So we tested everything at two inches, quarter inch, eighth inch, and then we did our clean shave uh, test baseline, to see how our results, if they've changed at all since we first got tested with the clean shave back in July. So you said you went from two inches straight to a quarter inch? Yeah, so the way that the Navy's policy is written right now for uh, exemptions for shaving or for beards is that uh, what you'll typically see is if there's a medical exemption, uh, say like pseudofolliculus uh, barbellitis, I, I really struggle with that one, PFB, um, is you know for the ingrown hairs or you know, face getting ripped up from the shaving is usually they'll get about a, a quarter inch uh, exemption for the beards. Uh, when you look at the um, religious side, the religious exemption is for two inch up to two inches right now. And so that's what they were curious about is, hey, with our current standards uh, at the two inches and the quarter inch, what would be the effect of putting masks on the sailors? So we really didn't test anything between the two and quarter inches, which is a you know a significant difference. Uh, we just took a look at those major benchmarks, and then they also checked the eighth inch as well as back to our clean shave baseline. Okay, so from that, from those that jump, at least for your personal, did, were you able to see your personal results based on the different lengths? Yeah, we got uh, while we were doing the test, we were getting immediate feedback uh, from the computer and the system. Uh, personally, uh, I did not pass at the uh, two inches of hair but I did pass at the quarter inch 
and the eighth inch and of course the clean shave. Um, at least for other people, I, I don't have I don't have the data. They're still working on the final reports and all that to get worked up to uh, to the second half. But there were a couple of people that passed at the two inches of hair, but it was definitely kind of hit or miss um, for what we were seeing just talking with each other. Do you think they should have done some different lengths in between the two inch and the quarter inch to see what the results would have if the results would have been different? Um, I think it would have been interesting to have that information. Um, I think mostly it's because we're working with a, a pretty constrained timeline for the testing. Uh, just to do test one mask um, at one length of hair would take us 30 to 35 minutes. Um, so to do all the testing in one shot with no breaks for everything, the way it was set was four to five hours. And they had a lot of people to get through with the testing. So I think that it might have been some useful information, but I think they still achieved their goal of testing. Hey, these are the benchmarks that exist right now. What would that affect be? So you guys, when was this, uh, when was the end of the study done? Like when, when did this occur? Uh, you, you talking in terms of like the, uh, the testing for the beards? Yeah. When did the testing happen? The, we did the testing. I think we wrapped it up, uh, end of November, 2022. Uh, there were a few stragglers. I think that they, they had to catch in the beginning of December, but all the testing was, you know, taken and completed, uh, back in November, end of November, beginning of December timeframe. So for that, did you guys hear what the result, like what the timeline will be for the results and what the potential impacts will be for policies? The timeline, um, I think, is what we were initially told was that the report was supposed to be on the SECNAV's desk by end of January. Um, it sounds like that may, may have been shifted a little bit and that it might be February now. But the report is still being worked on, still being kind of touched up, um, and it will be getting to the SECNAV here uh, in, the, in the very near future. In terms of policy, um, I, I can't really speak to that. I'm not the uh, definitely not the policy guy for the Navy. Uh, but if I had to say, you know, my personal opinion, or at least from what I've seen and from you know, talking with all the other individuals that we did the study with, um, it's hard for me to argue against beards because I know that I've been able to pass at the quarter inch um, and also, you know, having a beard, at least for the, the professional argument, there's really not a lot to be said about beards being unprofessional. Um, time may, may have been at one point, but times change throughout the years, policies change, uh, public perception change. So I think that once we get this report up and depending on what those final results are, again, I can only you know, really speak for what I've experienced and a couple of the people I've talked to experienced during the study is I think uh, the Navy would be hard pressed to at least not consider making some uh, policy changes. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, you know, ha having been here at NPS now where we have or at Naval Postgraduate School, where we have international students, which other militaries, it seems, allows their militaries to grow beards. Um, it has been, you know, they're all of the utmost, the utmost professional individuals. Uh, and I'm wondering, have you had experiences with other navies in the past that were allowed to grow beards and how those interactions have been? Yeah, certainly. I mean, when I was overseas in Spain, like 
we would work with pretty much operating independently as a ship, uh, but we would work with a lot of these other countries, whether it's uh, Spain, uh, Italy. Uh, I've worked with some Australians, uh, Great Britain. A lot of these navies all have facial hair, and it's really a non-issue for them. Uh, specifically, we had a Spanish navigator on our ship for a while, kind of getting to experience what we do here on the U.S. vessels, you know, as well as a chance for him to, you know, kind of share some knowledge for us to learn from him on what, what his country does. Um, and he was honestly very surprised to see that we don't allow any sort of facial hair. Uh, so it's, I think it's becoming more and more pronounced that, hey, beards, facial hair, whatever you may have it, it doesn't really impact at all someone's ability to do their job and do it well. I think the only question that exists these days is, is there an effect with the mask and being able to seal with hair, which is what the entire goal of the study was to accomplish. But you know, with when it comes to beards, I can, I can at least somewhat see the argument for, you know, if you have to wear a gas mask and if the gas mask becomes ineffective, that there is a reason to maintain that we're not allowed to have beards or only a certain length of it. But let's, Absolutely. Talk, let's talk about like other issues. For example, the Marine Corps recently um, allowed full sleeve tattoos again. Um, mm -hmm. I know we have issues frequently with, you know, haircuts and hair lengths. I believe the Navy and I think even the Marine Corps, you know, with uh, women allowed to be painting their fingernails in different colors. I guess my question for you is, what is your opinion on those kinds of issues and how that impacts professionalism? Yeah, I think a lot of those, those are definitely a lot of social issues. And I think we're getting to a point uh, where we're starting to realize that that social aspect doesn't really have a lot of impact on, as we said, the professionalism and the ability of that sailor or that Marine to do that job. Uh, you talked about the, you know, the full sleeve tattoos for the Marines, which I think is awesome. Another really cool step forward because within the Navy, right? Full sleeve tattoos, I can do, you know, parts of my neck, I can do my hands. Um, and to be quite honest, some of the best sailors that I've worked with in the Navy, uh, most tattoos, I, more tattoos I could probably even count, right? All over the place, but it doesn't affect them doesn't affect their ability to do their job and be a professional in their field. And so I think that those are positive steps that, you know, Navy, Marine Corps, whether it's tattoos, beards, uh, fingernails that we're taking. Um, and while it doesn't seem like much, I think it's pretty big steps in terms of being able to improve, improve, uh, you know, day-to-day -day life morale, which ultimately impacts the ability of the force to go forth and accomplish the mission. Do you think that, because I think that this is coming back to my point here, that the, the study that you guys conducted with beards was important because there might be an actual operational impact. Do you think that a study like that has to be conducted for each of these social issues that we are currently confronting? Or do you think that there are certain things that we can just agree on? This is something that we've done traditionally, but it's also something that doesn't impact us operationally that we can get rid of. I think the majority of them you don't need to order some type or order or complete some type of study on uh, for that operational impact. I think the beards was a good one to do this with because you know being able to affect somebody's respiratory system and do what they need to do, whether that's uh, you know smoke and fighting a fire, 
or a chemical attack, right? That can have very drastic um, both health and operational consequences. Whereas if I look at something like the color of uh, my fingernails, right? I'd be hard pressed to be able to make an argument on how that could operationally uh, affect the mission that I'm completing. And so I think in some of those, a lot of those instances, there's really no need to do a study on it. I think what we have to take a look at is as a service, can we identify this as an issue that, you know, we think we should be talking about, which the sailors and Marines will bring up those issues. They'll address them and you just got to listen to them. Um, and then look, okay, personally, I'm pretty you know, indifferent to the fingernails. If I want to paint my fingernails a certain color, it makes no difference to doing the job and doing the mission. So I think those types of social aspects and social changes are just something that we have to say, hey, you know what? Times have changed. You know, what may or may not be perceived as professional has changed. And maybe we can make a look at making these changes to policy. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, I guess my question is also with, with the beards. Um, it's been so long. I mean, I don't know how how often or like how long ago it started that we weren't allowed to have beards. I mean, like, was the Navy ever allowed to have beards in the past? Yeah, so there was a pretty decent amount of time. I can't remember exact dates off the top of my head right now. But we had them for a pretty good period uh, through the late 90s, and it didn't become uh, official Navy policy to not have beards uh, until the 80s or so. I want to say like 84 or 85. Uh, but until that point, you know, a lot of facial hair and beards in the Navy. Um, you go back and look at Navy first founded back in the you know, 1700s and then into early 1800s and beyond. Yeah, I mean, you look back at at naval history, um, back when we were founded in the late 1700s, you know, time through the 1800s, 1900s, etc. You know, sailors and beards have honestly existed pretty well with each other. Uh, there's definitely been periods where they haven't had them; they've had them. Uh, most recently, I think that you know people could recall back is we had them for a pretty good amount of time. Uh, in the, the mid to, to mid to late 1900s. And it wasn't until I think 84, 85 that the Navy policy came down and said, hey, we are clean shaven. We're getting rid of you know, beards and facial hair. This is going to be the new Naval policy. And it hasn't been since then that things have really changed. So you take a look at that. It's like, what, 40 years ago now? So it might be time to you know take a look at those things and see, hey, maybe it's time that we can bring back facial hair, bring back beards, and, and take a look at those policies. And I guess my, my, my next question for that, and I just want your personal opinion on this, is with it potentially having an impact on, you know, a gas mask or things like that, should we potentially look at the options that if you are in those billets or, con or deployment or underway, that you have to maintain those standards and while you're, you know, back at home on shore duty that you would be allowed at those time to grow out a beard. So my personal opinion on it is that regardless of the results of the study, right? Because the study is looking at, hey, how can I seal a mask uh, with, with facial hair? Um, I think regardless of the study, I see no reason why a sailor or Marine uh, or any but any branch really who's on a, a shore duty type billet where, such as myself, I'm going to the schoolhouse every day. 
I come back and that's the end of it. Someone working in those positions, you know, administrative positions, all sorts of things like that that are based here in the U.S. with really no operational concerns for fighting fires daily or, you know, a chemical attack. I see no reason that you know, facial hair and beards can't exist for those billets. Um, I think the second part of that is what you said with about, you know, maybe there's additional restrictions for, you know, sailors who are in a sea duty status or in a flight status where, you know, they're flying and they need to be able to have access to efficiently and quickly put a mask on or they're on a ship and they have to quickly put a don a firefighting mask. I think that's what the focus of this study is. And, you know, pending positive results and the ability to seal a mask from the final conclusion of this study, I think you can look at making policies in, in some way that, okay, maybe you can't have, you know, the world's largest beard on your face when you're in those uh, operational billets. But maybe there's a point, say, that eighth inch, that quarter inch, that, you know what, hey, we're seeing success at this length. Maybe I'm not seeing success at the full two inches, but at least for those sailors that are in those sea duty or flight, uh, flight status billets, maybe they can have up to that eighth inch, that quarter inch during that time. And you know what? Hey, when you get back to, you know, a shore duty, uh, something less operational where you're not facing those daily operational concerns, then we can grow things out a little bit more within whatever standard or policy is set for what you can grow. Yeah, I guess the potential issues that you'll always have at that point is, one, creating an us versus them kind of mentality, where you have the individuals that are, you know, for us, the people that are constantly going to the field or that are deployed, that are upset that people that never deploy or never go to the field are able to grow out their facial hair, potentially creating, like, you know, that us versus them mentality. And then I guess the other thing you'd have to be careful of is, you know, how much extra work are you putting at that point on, you know, senior enlisted and other, you know, junior officers that have to correct those kinds of things when it's like, you know, someone is growing or is always on the edge of they're an eighth inch. That's all they're allowed. And they, you know, push the limit a little bit and go to like a quarter inch. You know, that's another thing that sure. you have to enforce. Yeah. I mean, I could see there being some animosity, you know, be between, Hey, this guy's, you know, uh, on a shore duty based billet and gets to grow out more hair than me. Um, but at the same time, I think being able to take that step and say, hey, these are the requirements. Uh, when you're in this position, this is what you have to follow. I mean, rules such as that and those requirements already exist. Um, I just don't think it's you, you see it as superficial as seeing uh, facial hair on somebody's face. So definitely items of concern. And I think that comes down to your know, time. If we establish some sort of policy, nobody ever likes change. Um, eventually, the change will come to be accepted, and it's something that we'll just have to work through. And you know, maybe we have to course correct and adjust a couple of things. But ultimately, I, I don't think it sh that should be considered a, a limiting factor on saying, you know what, we just shouldn't allow beards at all because there might be some conflict between that. Yeah, I think something that would be very important for this kind of you know change into the future is just a good feedback loop of you know junior marines junior sailors uh the middle management sections and even the senior leadership just constant feedback with high with you know 
the Secretary of the Navy kind of office to understand these are the impacts that we're having and then making the changes of policy based off of that feedback. Yeah, for sure. Well, Paul, I, I pre really appreciate uh, you talking to me about the whole beard study. Um, I guess my question now is like, what are what are your future plans now that you're on a legit shore duty and in te and teaching uh, young sailors? Well, I'll tell you what, it's definitely been uh, quite a life change and a lot slower play, uh, a lot slower paced. So getting used to all that change, getting settled in here, um, finding I have a lot more time on my hands now than I did uh, being operational on the ships. So personally, uh, been dealing with a lot of that and a lot of other things and working through things with uh, a lot of running. So been building up my running, looking here to uh, you know start competing in some more ultra marathons, a couple hundred milers, really one of my big pastimes there. Um, and then eventually, uh, working with my chain of command right now, but I have a, a pretty lofty goal right now where I'm going to run across the country from San Diego to Newport, Rhode Island. So we're working on some planning for that and see if we can kind of make that a joint venture with the Navy. But that's kind of what we're looking at here for the next one to two years. As a logistics officer, I'm happy I don't have to plan the logistics for that kind of trip. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a handful, but it should be pretty interesting if we can uh, get some buy off on this and, uh, and get the ball rolling on it. I'll say this, Paul, if, I, if anyone can do it, I'm sure it's you. Uh, well, I appreciate that. All right, Paul, I really appreciate your time, and thank you so much for being here today with me. Absolutely. Uh, great talking with you, and glad we got uh, some interesting topics today. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroompodcast. <laughs>